All right, we are going through a series on the gospel. The gospel is something that we don't just teach here. It's some, we dance on the gospel. Um, but what's unique about this series is we're looking at the gospel in terms of the pictures that the Bible uh, presents it to us. And because we don't oftentimes think in pictures, uh, sometimes we miss th- these things. And so today our picture is leprosy. Leprosy. It's, it's, it's something that for us, I think, is out of sight, out of mind, because um, in the 20th century, we found a cure for this deadly, dreadful disease. But uh, it's, it's something that we read about in the Bible. And uh, that's all I'll say right now. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. If you have a Bible like mine, it's on page 294. By now, if you've been here for a while, you know how much I love narrative. I love the story. I love how God communicates through story. And uh, this is one of those stories, those little stories that point us to the big story of the Bible. Uh, We love to stand for the reading of God's word, so if that's something you can do, let's stand. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Syria. And he he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded Because through him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a valiant soldier. But he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Syria had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. This girl said to her mistress, If only, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master, his king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Syria replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant, Naaman, to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a fight with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me. And stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. But Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? 
How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. This is God's word. You can be seated. I love that God communicates to us through story. And this story right here packs the power, the power to change us. I want to start with, with, with this. Um, there are three threads that are woven through the fabric of this story, namely its characters that make this story what we call gospel. This beautiful redemptive thing. The first thing is that you have a great man in Naaman. In fact, I think the way the text portrays Naaman in this first verse is what we might today call a celebrity. Um, He's a decorated war hero. He is second in power, highly respected, famous, accomplished, heroic. This guy is, 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 he's a celebrity. Here's the deal, with celebrity, oftentimes comes pride. I mean, we see this in in, in so many celebrities today, how they just reek of self-importance and self-significance. And as we're going to see, Naaman is all of that. This great man is a proud man. Now, when it comes to pride, I was thinking about this this week. I think the church is pretty silent on pride. And we talk about a lot of things. We address a lot of things in our life that that, that we are to confront if we're going to conform ourselves to the image of God. But one of the things that I don't think we talk that much about is the issue of pride. Now, what do I mean by pride? Pride is simply when I take myself and, and replace God with me. It's when I exalt myself. It's putting myself ahead of God as my soul's center of gravity. I mean, pride is basically the same thing as selfishness. Selfishness is the manifestation of pride. So pride is any form of selfishness, whether it be self-promotion, self-worship, self-exaltation, even self-consciousness, self-sufficiency, self-centeredness, it's pride. And this is what C.S. Lewis says about pride. He says, sexual sin, anger, greed, drunkenness, all, all of those things, he says, are nothing but flea bites in comparison to pride. Because he says it's through pride that the devil became the devil. And he says, pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And here's one thing that you realize. When you read the Bible and you read it carefully, you realize that of all the flaws, the one character quality that God utterly detests, he detests it, is pride. He says, I give grace to the humble. His heart just runs to the humble. But he says, I oppose the proud. I stiff-arm the proud. 
And so I, I think C.S. Lewis is absolutely right. There isn't anything that is more anti-God, anti-God's character, anti-God's heart than pride. It is the root of all sin. Now the second thread is in this character, uh, the slave girl of Naaman. Now look at verse 2. The Bible does this all the time. It just gives you a simple description. But if you thought long and hard about that description, um, you'd draw a lot of conclusions. It says about her. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. These captives that come out, these raiders, are essentially terrorists. And so here is a young girl who, by these terrorists, is, is ripped out of her home, ripped out of her family, taken to a very strange land. We can only imagine the kind of things that were done to her, the abuse that she had to suffer on the way. And then when she gets there, she's made a slave. And yet this girl is the hero of the whole story. Without her in this place, Naaman does not get redeemed. And I love that. Because this slave girl, this suffering servant, points us to what the whole story is about. The whole story is about a hero who's a suffering servant. And then when you, you, you take Naaman and you lay Naaman side by side with this slave girl, what you have is, is you have one person who's at the very top of the food chain, a celebrity, the ultimate insider, and then you have one who's at the very bottom, a slave, an alien, the least of these. But I want us to see what a beautiful picture this slave girl is of faith, hope, and love. She loves Naaman, the one who probably represents all the suffering in her life. So much so that she wants him to be healed. And then the, the faith and hope part. She has those because it, she's like, if only, if only we could get our master Naaman, if only we could get him to the great prophet, he could be healed. And I just love it, how, how she just puts it out there. She puts her reputation out there. Um, who knows? Maybe she's even sacrificing her life to say such things. But she's putting out there. She's, she's such a Christ-like person, full of faith, hope, and love. Um, the third thread, and I don't think you'd even hardly notice this thread, because it's hardly there. He's hardly there. But he is. It's the thread of God and, and his sovereignty. Um, because behind the scenes of this story, just like behind the scenes of the whole biblical story, just like behind the scenes of your story, of, of all of history, is a sovereign God. I mean, the text tells us it's a sovereign God who makes Naaman a great man. It's a sovereign God who allows this girl to be taken as a slave. 
And you're like, wait a second, God allows that? Well, hey, without her, Naaman would never come to know the God of the universe. I'll push this further. It's a sovereign God who's responsible for Naaman's leprosy. And we're going to see what a, what a nasty thing this is, but yet it's the best thing to ever happen to Naaman because it exposes this deadlier disease that he's infected with, the disease of his pride. And he would never be healed of his pride and come to know the God of the universe if he didn't get this disease. And here's where I want to say something. Just when you and I think that maybe because of our resources, our, our, our good minds, if we have them, our talents, our reputation, our status, our, our, our beauty, our looks, that because of those things, that we can use those things to somehow think that we have control of life, that we have life by the tail, it's at this point where we got to be careful because God oftentimes just kind of comes right into our life and he messes with us. In this case, he wrecks a man. And why does he do it? For one simple reason, because he loves us. He loves Naaman. So here's Naaman. He's a great man, but he's a proud man. And he has leprosy. There's always going to be a chink in the armor. There's always going to be a thorn in the flesh. And this man has a pretty big chink. He has the most dreaded disease of his day. Now, since 1940, and this is why this disease is kind of out of sight, out of mind, I, I literally thought about just giving you some images today of people who still have leprosy, but they, were, they, they literally were too appalling, so I decided not to do that. Um, but we, modern medicine, found a cure to this in 1940. But what I want you to know is that in the ancient world, this was easily the most dreaded disease because it starts off as this little skin rash that soon spreads and it creates all these sores and lesions throughout your body. And also coming with the sores and the lesions is this numbness where you can't feel because the nerves are destroyed. So you could just be one day standing and not knowing you're standing right, ne right next to a boiling uh, pot of water, and you could literally just put your foot in that, not knowing that your foot right now is having third-degree burns. And for this reason, literally, the flesh was just eaten away. Body parts would be eroded. Eyelids, noses, ears, fingers, toes, sometimes hands and feet. And on top of this, not only did it make you disgusting to everyone else, and it wasn't just disgusting to look, look at, but you were a stench. You smelled because your body was decaying. But you were ostracized. You would have to be totally cut off 
from your town to live in what's called a leper colony. In fact, two whole chapters in our Bibles, in Torah, Leviticus 13 and 14, are God's instruction on how Israel is to deal with this disease. In fact, those people who were ostracized, cut off, told to live uh, in, in, a, in a leper colony, had to cover their bodies completely, not showing their skin, and hoods over their uh, heads so that people couldn't see their faces. I don't know if you know this, but today uh, in third world regions, people are still the same. Lepers are abandoned by friends, family, spouses to live in a leper colony. India today has 700 such colonies. Here's what I want to say. Leprosy is such... Wait a second. I, you guys, I honestly, I'm not good enough for this. I, I, I got like a brain that I can't think about what I'm going to say with you guys just talking. Are you okay, Richard? What do you need right now? Okay, just checking. You guys know Richard by now, right? Richard comes. This is his second service today that he sits in. Um, I hate to do that to you, Richard. You know that, right, buddy? Okay. You guys can laugh a little bit. It's okay. He's fine with this, okay? <laughs> um, leprosy is a, it's a picture of sin. Sin is infectious. It's potent. It's destructive. It contaminates. It spreads. It mars us in every way. It cuts us off. It cuts us off from God. It cuts us off in our relationships, from each other, from the people that we most love. It's a disease that has infected our world, and it must be healed. And what we have in our story is Naaman. He's desperate. He knows his fate. Because leprosy now marks the end of his life, as he knows it. The end of all his prestige, his fame, his celebrity, his status, his power, his wealth. His life is over. And herein lies the beginning of redemption. Redemption begins when we get to a point in our life when we realize that life now lived for me has come to an end. My life is over. And so Naaman seeks help. He's desperate. But I want us to see, because this is in the text, he does this as a proud man. He wants help his way. He wants it on his terms. So look at verses 4 and 5. First thing he does, he goes to his king, who sends a letter of recommendation to the king of Israel. This is king to king. But here's the deal. The slave girl never said anything about a king. She talked about a prophet. But in Naaman's world... Kings tell prophets what to do. In the world of Israel, prophets tell kings what to do. And also notice that Naaman doesn't just bring his leprosy, but he brings all of this silver and gold. I mean, look at verse 5. Biblical scholars don't know what to do. Uh, you guys don't understand a shekel in, in, in these biblical um, measurements, but some scholars say that the amount of wealth that he is bringing would be the quarter of that nation's wealth. A quarter of it. 
In other words, what you have is a man who's just ready to pay for the best health care available. He's expecting private, luxurious room with spa treatment overlooking the sea. And notice this other detail. He brings ten garments. These ten garments are for Naaman to maintain his image. He wants to continue to present himself as a celebrity. So I want you to just kind of in your mind see this great man, this proud man, making his way to Israel, this huge entourage that includes chariots, soldiers, carts carrying silver and gold, and they're going to see the king of Israel. And then imagine that meeting, celebrity meeting king, both of them probably looking at each other and and, and being impressed with each other, but not wanting to show that. And all this power in one room, but with zero authority to do anything about Naaman's leprosy. And see, the king of Israel knows that this. That's why in verse 7, he reads the letter. He tears his robes. He says, essentially, who am I? Who does Naaman think that I am? Does he think that I'm a god? And here's the king who we think has all the power, and he's utterly powerless. And notice his paranoia. He says, is this Syrian king trying to pick a fight with me? Listen, I'm convinced of this. Power, whatever form you get it, whether it's through wealth, whether it's through status, whether it's through uh, your position, whatever it might be, your beauty, It almost always comes with paranoia. Because people are always scared about losing it. But I love Elisha. I love his response. Somehow Elisha hears about this. And in verse 8, he sends a letter to the king. And he basically says, cool it down. Settle down, king. You might not have the authority. But there is still a prophet in Israel. Send this man to me. And there's an application there. There's a whole sermon in that one statement that I would someday love to preach. I'm not going to preach it right now. But just take the problems that exist in Grand Rapids. Take all the issues that exist in our country, uh, the urban, the suburban, the poverty, uh, the violence, the abuse, the racism. The church needs to develop the attitude of Elisha. We need to stop in our minds thinking that we need to send all these problems to the king to take care of them. And we need to tell the king, send him to us and to the church. We'll take it. And I'd like to believe that we have the authority, not in ourselves, but the authority of the God in us to do something about it. But we'll save that sermon for another time. Um, Naaman is now faced with a pretty big choice. He tried to go the celebrity insider way, and that didn't work. So does he return home, or does he risk going to this prophet? Does he travel the dirt roads to Podunkville that's way outside the box for him, and he's not used to just seeking an audience with just some nobody? What about you? What about us? Are you someone that always needs to be around certain kinds of people? 
Are you always trying to get into a certain kind of neighborhood? Are you always trying to live a certain kind of lifestyle? Are you always trying to get into a certain kind of social scene? Are there people that you wouldn't hang out with because it's just not you? I mean, C.S. Lewis, since I'm on this theme of C.S. Lewis, he talks about this inner ring. He said, we all have this unhealthy desire to belong. We do. But he, said, he pushes this further. He says, we have this dark ambition to move in the right circles and win praise from the right kinds of people. And you feel that need, that, that, that need to, to be inside that group or to be inside that place, to always make it to that inside place, whether it be a church and a school. And see, I think this goes all the way back to the beginning because I think deep down in our hearts, we know that we have been kicked out, that we've been booted out of a garden, and we know that we're on the outside and we're desperately trying to get in. And we know deep down that we've been barred from the very thing for which we were made, which is why we are so afraid of being on the outside of anything. We don't like it. Now, I love how Naaman shows up at Elisha's door kind of trying to present himself as a celebrity. Look at verse 9. I mean, this is utterly amazing to me. Elisha doesn't even come out. He doesn't even come out and say, hey. And I can just sense Naaman's worst fears are, are now being realized because he wants us to at least feel somewhat normal. He wants Elisha to come out, probably bow at his feet and say, like, I'm at your service. And I'm going. And the text tells us uh, Naaman's response to this. Verse 11, he's filled with rage, anger. Why? He doesn't do life this way. He's used to doing life by always going to the top. Um, going the insider way, but God keeps coming to him through a slave girl and now this servant and this servant. And now Elisha, or, uh, yeah, Elisha's servant has the audacity to say to him, if you want to be healed, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be made clean. You have to understand how this is just too low of a thing for Naaman to do. It's way beneath the dignity that he thinks he deserves. I mean, look at what he says in verses 12 and 13. Anyone can wash in that dirty river. I mean, I can just see him. It's like, here I am. I'm with my chariots. I have my gold. I have my silver. This is way too easy for me. This is way too low for a man of my status. And this great man, this proud man, I know what he wants to do. He wants to be healed, but he wants to be able to go back to his country and say, I was healed because of the great thing that I did. You wouldn't believe the thing that this prophet of God asked me to do. He asked me to climb Mount Everest. He asked me to fast for 40 days. He asked me to take out one of the world's greatest armies. And I did it, and I was healed. 
Don't you for a second think you're any different than Naaman? Why is it that we always feel that we have to do some great thing to earn God's grace and his love and his healing? And we make it all about us. We make it all about what we can show off to God and what we can show off to everybody. Do you see what I did? And do you see what that is? That's pride. Instead, we like Naaman are given the simple message. Go, wash in the Jordan, and you'll be clean. Up until this point, Naaman is too proud to go God's way, and therefore, he's too proud to be healed. Are you too proud to be healed today? That's a fair question to ask. Because that assumes, doesn't it, something? Wait a second, Rod. I thought we were all Christians. We're all healed. Are you too proud to be healed? Because Naaman shows us the way. This proud man, for the first time in his life, out of pure desperation and need, he goes God's way. He abandons his image, his celebrity, and and, and for the first time in his life, what he's acknowledging is his need and his desperation. Because need and desperation are the only things that can shatter our pride. And here is great, the great Naaman, who's willing to admit, underneath all my gold, underneath all my silver, underneath all my celebrity, underneath all my status, underneath all my accomplishments, I'm a leper. I'm a leper. Do you understand your need? Do you know, apart from God's grace, you, I, we, are lepers. This proud man, he submits. He goes God's way. He humbles himself under God's almighty hand. Look at verse 14. So when he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. He bathed seven times in the Jordan. I don't know if you remember what I told you about the Jordan and what the Jordan symbolizes and what it means to the biblical story. Uh, To the people of God, the Jordan River, like the other ancient peoples, is not a holy river like the Nile or the Euphrates. It's, It's simply a barrier that must be crossed to go from the old to the new. It's what God's people had to cross the first time they entered the promised land. And it was a barrier. It represented that we have to leave the old behind and we have to go through the Jordan to get to the new. 
And that's why the Jordan River becomes a place of baptism because baptism is this this whole idea that that as we are leaving the old behind and immersing ourselves in these waters, that what's going to come out is going to be something altogether new, this new creation, this new life in God. In fact, Jordan itself, Yarden in Hebrew, it means to descend, it means to go down, will never go up. We'll never be born again. We'll never be exalted until we first go down. That's just the way it is with God. Now here's what I want you to see from the text. Every time Naaman steps into those waters to bathe, he has to strip He has to take off his worldly identity. He has to take off his self-importance, his self-significance. He has to take off his old Naaman, the celebrity, his uniform, his medals, his fame. He has to take it all off and become naked where all he bears now is his leprosy for everyone to see. What a humbling thing and experience this must have been for this proud man. Now, why seven times? Well, seven is the number of completion. Um, And so it's the idea, the Bible is is here to tell us that through the seven, that uh, his death to his old self, his pride and his self-sufficiency is now complete. And, and, and so is Naaman. Naaman now is, is, is made complete. He's, he's made whole. And I, I love how the text put, puts this in verse 14. It says, he became clean like that of a young boy, that his skin is all young and it's smooth and it's, it's, it's sweet smelling. It's, it's, it's perfect. But you need to understand that this is more than just a physical uh, healing. I, I love how the text says his skin became, in Hebrew, katan. Katan is also the, the same word that is used to describe the slave girl. Uh, the slave girl is katan. There, it, it's young. And, and, and in connecting his skin becoming young like the young slave girl, it's, it's the narrative's way of saying that that Naaman became like this beautiful Christ-like hero of the story. And see, that's what happens when we go God's way. Because when you look at this slave girl, this this suffering servant, she's a type of Christ. She points us to Christ. Uh, Christ is the word who is made flesh, who left the inner ring of, of ultimate power and became a nobody, a slave. Rejected, despised. The ultimate insider became the ultimate outsider. And he did that so that he could enter the Jordan, so he could enter uh, the baptism of his death, where in that death, he took on and bore all the leprosy of the world in his flesh. 
so that when he was raised, he was raised to new life, to offer us new life in him, new creation. We just think about that leprosy and that skin and, and, and the image of that, and then the picture of that becoming just like a little baby, like a little child, so smooth and clean. That picture is a picture of the gospel. It's what God in Christ wants to offer the world. And the good news of the gospel is he will do it to the most leprous of us. You know, the hero of this story has always been a suffering servant, hasn't it? Isaiah 52 says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And many were amazed when they saw him, beaten and bloodied, so disfigured, that one could scarcely know that this was a person they were looking at. And he will startle nations, and kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not previously been told about. They will understand what they had not heard, for he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us healing was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. God did that for us. And God's message to us has always been so simple. Go, wash. And be healed. Unless you and I humble ourselves and become like little children, says Jesus, we will never see the kingdom of heaven. But if we humble ourselves, God's kingdom will break into our lives and we'll be healed. Are you too proud to be healed today? Have you really, really gone God's way? For some reason, it's just so in us for us to trust who we are and what we are and what we become and the resources we have. And I'm not talking just in uh, the material world. I'm talking in our spiritual world. God, look at me. Look how good I am. Look what I've done for you. Am I good enough yet? And those ten garments that Naaman took, churches are still filled with people who just come into this place still wearing the garment covering their leprosy. God wants to heal us. And the only way that he can heal us if he, if he breaks the back of pride in our lives and the way that he's going to break the back of pride in our lives is when we get desperate and confess to him our need that we, apart from him, are lepers. And like Naaman, we just need to get to the water and we need to wash. And Lewis since I'm on this theme, I might as well keep going. Um, in his children's book, The Voyage of the Don Treader, he has this character, Eustace Clarence Scrub, and his name says it all. He is that kid. He's this little greedy, selfish, little brat boy, boy brat who's somehow thrust into the world of Narnia, and he comes across this cave. Can't believe it. It's, just, it's his heart desire. It's, it's just 
full of all this treasure. And there's this huge pile of gold that that night he just sleeps on that gold only to wake up the next morning as, as a dragon. And he can't get the skin off. And the dragon only becomes more and more. The skin only becomes thicker and thicker. And he's just become nothing but a beast. And because he's a beast, a dragon, he's totally cut off, isolated from everyone and everything. He's alone. But then he encounters the great lion, Aslan, who's a portrayal of Christ. And Aslan comes to him. And says, I can heal you, but for me to heal you, I, I will have to undress you. You're, you're going to have to let me undress you. And Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, but I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat down on my back and I let him do it. He said, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling this stuff peel off. He peeled the beastly stuff right off, and there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled switch. And then he took hold of me. And I didn't like that much, for I was very sensitive underneath, now that I had no skin. But he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing... I found that all the pain had gone, and I saw that I had turned into a boy again. That's the power of the gospel. That when we humble ourselves and lay ourselves in his arms, yes, his claw will go down, and it will go down to our very heart, and it will cut. But he'll tear it off and he'll make us something altogether new. Are you tired of life being about you? Are you tired of this whole game of performing and performing? Humble yourselves and come and wash. And one of the things we like to do at our church is we do mikvah from time to time. Mikvah is an act of repentance. And today it would be the act of understanding that I am a proud person. And I want to repent of my pride. And I want to acknowledge my need and desperation. And I'm coming to these waters which represent the waters, the blood of Christ that washes us and cleanses us. And makes us whole. God, may, may, may there be repentance this morning in this room. And may there be healing, God, that follows. In Jesus' name. God, thank you for loving us in spite of us. And God, thank you that grace is a free gift. It's not something we earn. It's, it's, it's something we could never earn. But God, you offer it to us because you love us. And it's a grace that humbles us. It's a grace that heals us. And it's a grace that raises us up.
And God, thank you that by the time we get to our New Testament, that when Jesus goes and he speaks to his hometown, he points to Naaman. And he says, it's people like Naaman that I give my grace. So God, Naaman is my hope. He's our hope. If you can heal him, you can heal any of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, it's a beautiful day. Enjoy it, all right? See ya.